Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Rodney uh, has uh, a little energy in his step um, after being gone. He, uh, he's almost back to normal, if you know what the normal Rodney looks like. So it's good to see him with some energy. You've got energy today and you're singing. I uh, appreciate that so much. I appreciate you being here today. There's a lot of things you could be doing today. Sleeping in, staying home. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. Would you turn to the people around you and say, I'm glad you're here today? I'm glad y'all are here today. Robbie, you're in charge of this group right here. Yeah, yes. We are in a study of the book of Acts, and uh, it's the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and we're just kind of taking our time going through Acts. We're calling the series Empowered to Witness, and we're getting that from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. We're learning about that. And you will be witnesses, but not just witnesses. Jesus says you will be my witnesses. And I know I've told you every week that word for power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. There is an explosion God shows up on the scene in the first century. God shows up in the book of Acts and he pours out his Holy Spirit on Christ's followers and it explodes. That power explodes into those people and they go to the ends of the earth being witnesses. Now, we might need to spend a few minutes on that word witnesses because um, it shows up about 29 times in Acts. You will be my witnesses We don't use that word much in our culture, in our church, in our Church of Christ tribe. Witness, witnessing, testifying, we seem to almost be uncomfortable with that. Because many times when you hear the word witness, it's like, oh, I need to go out and knock doors. I need to go out and share the gospel. I need to go out and do whatever it is that comes to your mind. And then we get afraid. We're afraid, well, what if they ask me something I don't know? What if they ask me something in the Bible I can't find? Almost to the point that we become silent witnesses out of fear and we do nothing. And that's not what we find in the book of Acts. They were filled with the Spirit and they were empowered to witness. But we need to talk about that word witness. I like the way Dan Schaefer puts it. He says, a witness at the very core of the definition of the word is someone who is called to testify to an event at which he or she was present. Now think about it. Have y'all ever, how many people have been called to jury duty? How many of y'all have actually served jury duty? How many of y'all have ever been called to be a witness? Not as many. Let me tell you what it means to be a witness. When you're called to a courtroom to be a witness, it's not your job to convince the jury what they need to do. It's not your job to do the work of an attorney. It's not your job to be the judge. As a witness, it is your responsibility to say, hey, here's what I saw, 
here's what I know. For example, if you leave here today and you see a car wreck out front and you get called to be a witness, your responsibility is, hey, here's what I saw. I walked out of the building. This car did this. This car did that. That's what I saw. Your job, your responsibility is done. This is what I saw. You remember growing up, I don't know if y'all did this growing up. Maybe this was just an Oklahoma thing, I don't know. Did y'all ever have show and tell? We had show and tell. And I don't know how you did it, but in Oklahoma, anything goes. So when my brother was doing his show and tell, I'm not sure if you did this, he took a little baby food jar, one of those little Gerber jars, because he just had surgery, and he went and did show and tell with his tonsils. Back when doctors would say, hey, you want to take these home? And my brother would show and tell his tonsils. You know what show and tell was. You had show and tell, you would show a picture of vacation or show a picture of something your parents bought or show something that you had done and you told about that. That's what a witness does. Our responsibility as Christ followers is to show Jesus and to tell others about Jesus. It's not our responsibility to bring them to the point of faith. I believe that's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. It's not our responsibility to bring them to a decision. It's our responsibility as witnesses to say, Hey, let me show you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. We ought to be able to, through our lives, show Jesus. Dan Schaefer continues, Believers have a sacred task to serve as living evidence of God's goodness. Our very lives should tell the story of God's goodness. People should be able to see us, and we are witnesses. That's why we're called to be light. That's why we're called to be salt. In fact, people ought to be able to smell us. That's why we're the aroma of Christ. And yes, part of our responsibility is to go into all the world and tell other people about Jesus. Our job is to be witnesses. Now, let me say that a little stronger. People should be able to see Jesus in every aspect of our lives. People should be able to see Jesus in our marriages, in our children, how we raise our children, how we work, our work ethic, our speech, how we dress. Everything about us should show Jesus to the world, especially how we handle our money. You say, well, Richie, why are you going to mention that today? Because that's our text. But our text today isn't about money. It's about being an empowered witness. And you witness to the world in how you spend your money. So we're going to look at a passage today in Acts 4 and Acts 5. <clears throat> Let me read this from Jonathan Stormont. I've been reading his book on Acts. He says, This is about, Acts, is about a group of people who catch the wind of the Spirit and allow it to carry them wherever it may blow. And they're a changed people. Changed because they've been given the Spirit of God. Changed because they believe in the resurrection. Changed because they believe in Jesus. And everywhere they went, it was show and tell time for them. And so here's what we're going to find in the book of Acts. Let's read. <clears throat> All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, we can read in the Old Testament that God's intention has always been to to call a community of believers together, to call a group of people together, and they're supposed to display certain aspects of God. So you read in the Bible where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. God calls us to live holy lives because He's holy. God calls us to live holy lives so that when the people see our holy lives, they will praise God. The scripture we read today, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood. We're supposed to live such good lives among the pagans that if they see, and when they see our good works, they'll praise God. Our lives are witnesses to God. So, as you read in the Old Testament, there's times that people were were needy, and they were supposed to respond a certain way. So notice some of the terminology. They shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. With great power, there's our power, you will be empowered to witness. With great power, and there was much grace, there was great grace. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them because they shared everything they had. And they brought the money from the cells and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed. They had an intense desire. They felt a responsibility to help those who were in need. Well, why would they do that? Well, go back to Acts chapter 2 with me. Remember we talked about the day of Pentecost, one of the three major feasts, one of the three big feasts that the Jews had. So the Jews came from every nation under the world to come to this feast. The last thing that they imagined was that someone would preach Jesus Christ the Messiah, the person who was just crucified, and they preached Jesus, and they responded in such a way, and they were moved in such a way, and they were pricked to the heart in such a way that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. There were 3,000 followers who had packed their bags and packed their supplies to come to the the Feast of the Pentecost and then go home. But now we hear this message about Jesus. And people respond. And people are staying extra days. And they didn't pack extra food. And they didn't pack extra supplies. So here they are hanging around this new community of believers. And we've got no food. We've got no supplies. And so they look around and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got some folks that need some stuff. So they shared everything that they had. There were Christ followers that were in need. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 15, let me read you some from Deuteronomy 15. There should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. So God says, all right, look, I'm going to call a group of people together, and I don't want there to be any poor people from among the group that I call together. Now, if you keep reading, it says, if there's a poor man among your brothers... In any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted, do not be tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. So God 
is establishing a group of people and he says, look, I want you to take care of each other. And if there's any poor person, if there's any needy person, don't be tight-fisted. You need to be open-handed. You need to share what you have to take care of other believers. And that's what they're doing. But again, nobody gets up and makes an announcement and says, hey, look, this is what we need to do. No, they just had a spirit of generosity about them. And their spirit of generosity is a witness to those around them. Because when the world sees how we have a spirit of generosity and we take care of... This wasn't money given to a church building. This wasn't money given for a church van. This was money given to take care of other Christ followers. When people see our generosity, when people see how we handle money, when people see how we give our money, it is a witness to God. So don't be tight-fisted. You need to be open-handed. Now, you get this picture in Acts of these Christ followers. God, in the New Testament, is forming a new community of believers. And already, they're taking care of one another. Already, they're being a witness to God because of their generosity. And Luke's going to give us two examples here that we get to choose from when it comes to being generous. The first is this guy named Joseph. So he's got a great name right out of the chute. He's from the tribe of Levi. So he's from a great tribe already. And the apostles like him so much, they give him a nickname. So he's got it going on. Son of encouragement. And he sells a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Why? Because he believes in the resurrection so much, and he believes in Jesus so much, and he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's just natural to him to do what he's just done and to be generous. What you do with your possessions and how you handle your possessions bears witness to God. It bears witness to being a Christ follower. It bears witness to believing in the resurrection. And so, here's the first example. You can be generous and be this kind of witness to the world. Now, wouldn't it be nice if every witness was that way? But it's not. Because as you keep reading in Acts chapter 5, here's what we have. Example number 2. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you do such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that is the price, she said. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment... She fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. 
So we go from great power, great grace, great generosity, to great death, to great fear because of their example. This is one of those stories in the Bible that we're a little uncomfortable with. This is one of those stories in the Bible that we're like, yeah, let's go to Acts 6 and just move on. Because it almost appears that God acts a little quick, a little decisively. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, what grabs our attention about this? This is not the Bible story that we see posted in the children's wing. Oh, we'll paint Noah up there, but we don't paint the people drowning. We don't paint Ananias and Sapphira and them going down dead. This is one of those stories we just, it just makes us uncomfortable. What in the world is going on here? I mean, what would anger God so much that He would strike them dead? I mean, they sold a piece of land. They didn't have to. And they gave a great sum of money and they didn't have to. I mean, this is the kind of deal that usually will name a building after people like this. On a college campus, the Ananias and Sapphira Business Center, the Ananias and Sapphira Student Center, we'll want to put a plaque on the wall. We want to take their picture. We want to put it in the paper. We want everybody to see what Ananias and Sapphira does so that other people will do the same. What in the world's going on here? That God would strike them dead. I mean, think about it. Have you ever sold a large piece of land? Maybe you have. I don't know. Don't want to know. I'm just not familiar with people selling large pieces of land and giving large sums of money to the church. Oh, I know it happens. I'm just not familiar with it. This ought to be an example of people who are generous because they didn't have to sell the land and they didn't have to give the money. And it was still a large chunk of money. What in the world is going on that God would strike them dead? Well, maybe it is really simple in that they lied. But everybody lies, right? I mean, if you say you don't lie, you're lying about not lying. What in the world is going on that made God act so quick? I mean, maybe they had good reason to keep the money. Maybe they had good reason to hold some back. I mean, maybe they're saving up for their kids' education. Maybe they've got other bills to pay for. What in the world would make God respond this way? Well, maybe Peter gives us the clue. He said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? I mean, what's the theme of the book of Acts? We're empowered. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they've allowed Satan to fill their heart. I mean, the last time Satan filled someone's heart in the Bible, do you remember? Is a guy named Judas. And it was also about money. How could you have Satan fill your heart in such a way that you would lie to the Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you've received. I mean, it's almost like they're trying to pull one over on God. I mean, maybe God won't know. I mean, we sold the land, we got the money, we'll just kind of give a certain amount. You know, in the Greek, it's even stronger. It's not just that they lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. But it's not just that they lied to the Holy Spirit. They falsified their testimony. They falsified... The Holy Spirit. 
We're called to be witnesses of God. And they falsified their witness. Not only did they look bad, not only did they make the Holy Spirit look bad, they made the church look bad, they falsified their witness. They lied. And they fell down dead, and they died. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to fill their heart, they allowed Satan to fill their heart. Now, listen church, this is huge. There's more than being a Christ follower than showing up on Sunday morning. There's more than being a Christ follower than singing some songs. There's more to being a Christ follower than reading your Bible. There's more to being a Christ follower than staying for some Bible classes. Those are all good. But when we leave these walls, we're being witnesses of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, which is what the Christ followers did in the first century. So everything you do, people are watching. And if we falsify our testimony, if we falsify the Holy Spirit in us, we're bad examples. We're bad witnesses. Now think about it. Look what Satan's trying to do. First, he attacks on the outside. He's going to have Peter and John arrested. We looked at that last week. He's going to have them thrown in jail. People are going to make threats against him. Hey, we don't want you speaking anymore. They threaten him a little bit and they send him out. So Satan tries to attack from the outside. And now Satan tries to attack from the inside. He's going to fill the hearts of Christ followers in such a way that they're bad witnesses. I mean, first he wants you to be a silent witness. If he can't get you to be a silent witness, he will try to get you to be a bad witness. If he can't get you to be a bad witness, I don't know what he's going to try next. But I know that Jesus wants us to be empowered to be witnesses in such a way that everything we do at work, at home, in our speech, with our language, how we dress, is a witness to Jesus Christ in the resurrection. Now, <clears throat> look, what, look what goes on here. <clears throat> Let me keep reading. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them because of the great fear that seized the church. I mean, if being a Christ follower, being a believer in the resurrection means I've got to live a holy life, hey, I, I'm not so sure about this. No one else there joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, nevertheless. I mean, you would think that God striking people dead is not a real good church growth strategy. Hey, all right, here's how I'm going to grow the church. If you lie, I'm going to kill you. Nevertheless. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So we started with just a few, and then we went to 120 in first of Acts. And, you know, Jesus appeared to 500, and 3,000 responded on the day of Pentecost. And we read last week another 2,000 were added. And there's still people being added to their number, even though great fear has seized the people. Wow. What's going on here? You see, <clears throat> Satan wants you to be a silent witness. But more and more people, because of the witness of the apostles, because of the witness of Barnabas, Joseph, because of the witness of other Christ followers, more and more people 
are putting their faith in Jesus. More and more people are being added to their number. More and more people are becoming Christ followers. More and more people are being empowered. So maybe calling people to live holy lives is a good church growth strategy. But here's what comes to my mind. Here we are a couple thousand years later. And we're so afraid to offend anybody with the message of the gospel. We've almost become silent witnesses. And in becoming silent witnesses, we're being bad witnesses. And in being bad witnesses, we're falsifying the Holy Spirit that has been given to us to empower us to be witnesses. I mean, think about it. In some churches, some people think, I mean, what's the big deal whether I come to worship or not? Because whether you come to worship or not, you're being a witness one way or another. I mean, what's the big deal if I miss a few times? What's the big deal? What's the big deal if I cheat on my taxes? What's the big deal if I don't read my Bible? What's the big deal if I tell some off-color jokes? What's the big deal if I look at a little pornography? What's the big deal if I cheat on my spouse? Pretty soon, it's no deal. And we're falsifying the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And people see that. Is it any wonder that they would say, why would I want to be a part of that? It's not about the money. It's not about the possessions. It's about being a witness for Jesus. And yet sometimes our attitude is, well, you know, anything goes. No rules. No discipline. We never call anybody on the carpet. People act bad. People act unholy. I'm talking about people in the church. Well, we don't want to offend them by getting on to them. Let's just be happy that they show up. Peter wasn't just happy that Ananias showed up. There's probably some churches that would have taken this chunk of change and said, Hey, uh, cool, thanks. I like what N.T. Wright says, being a Christ follower should influence how we live outside these walls. And how we live bears, wit bears witness to Jesus in the resurrection. So when you go to work this week and someone's telling that joke, when you go to work this week and you're telling that joke, when you go to work this week, how you talk about your spouse, how you talk about your family, how you talk about your... Everything we do bears witness. So here's the question. Do you dare become a Christ follower? Because no one else dared. Do you dare? I mean, this is serious business. This isn't a country club. This isn't a game. This isn't a, hey, just whatever I want to do. Do you dare become a Christ follower? Because being a Christ follower means that you've been given the Spirit of God. And when you're given a Spirit of God, you're either controlled by the Spirit or you're controlled by the sinful nature, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And however you're being controlled by the sinful nature, that's a bad witness. Being controlled by the Spirit, that's a good witness. But here's the big picture. We're supposed to live holy lives so that people will see God. Not us. And they'll want to respond to Jesus in the resurrection. So if the only thing you do this week, if you go out this week and you don't say a thing, how we live is a witness to Jesus Christ in the resurrection. 
So will you become a Christ follower today? Do you dare become a Christ follower today? If you do, God will empower you. God's not going to leave you hanging. You're not going to say, well, you know, I don't know what to do. There's Christ followers here who will embrace you. But God fills us with His Spirit to empower us, not only to live victorious lives, but to empower us so that in every opportunity that we have, we can show and tell Jesus. You need to respond to the invitation of Jesus today. It's His invitation to become like Him. Not to become like us, to become like Jesus. If you need to become like Jesus, we've already read in Acts, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And one of the things that happens when you're baptized is you receive the Spirit of God to help you live that Christian life, to help you control some of your desires. Maybe you're a Christ follower today and maybe you've not been a good example. Maybe you've been going down the wrong road. Maybe there's some things that are just heavy on your heart today and you're uncomfortable responding down front. That's okay. Our shepherds are standing in the back at the end of every worship and you can go talk to them and they'll take you to a private room and they'll embrace you with prayer and nobody has to know. But you will have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who want to lift you up in prayer. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus today, let God change you today as we stand and sing.